obviously, as I was saying, Jesus is talking about legal and illegal access, illegal and illegal entry into our lives. And for many of us, uh, this was perpetuated in our lives. When security or when somebody gains illegal access into a, a place, a quarters, a headquarters or anything, in security terms, it's known as a breach. The word breach means a gap, an opening where somebody, your enemy, can legally or I'm sorry, can illegally gain access into an area. In security terms, it's known as a breach. And for many of us, Satan breached our lives through various means. Jesus here said that he is a thief and a robber. He is illegal in your life if he breached your life. If he came up through any other way through the, than the front door, who's at the front door? Jesus is at the front door. Amen. If he climbs up illegally through any other way, he's a thief and a robber, Jesus here saying he breached our lives through various means. It could have been the lack of a solid family. You could have, your parents could have gotten a divorce. It could be abuse. It could be some level of abuse through molestation, whatever the case may be. Wherever that area is, Satan gained access in that very weak point in our lives. He gained that access with the intent to, number one, destroy your life. To, number two, cause you to be a person that destroys the lives of other people. And, number three, to halt the purpose of God in your life. That's his threefold mission. To destroy your life. To cause you to be a person that's destructive in the lives of other people. And, ultimately, to stop or halt the mission of God, the purpose, the plan that God has for your life. And in many of these areas, there are institutions that God placed in his life for it to be a building block of godly character, for it to be a building block of, 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 of character on the inside of us that in times because of the frailty of man, undoubtedly one of those areas were going to be breached. Amen. Amen. Institutions like church. Institutions like school or the government or our families, our mothers and our fathers, because these areas are manned by men, undoubtedly, because man is finite and man is fallible and will ultimately fail you. Undoubtedly, one of these areas was going to be a breach or an area where Satan can access our lives illegally. We talked about last week familiar spirits. Many of us call them generational curses, but the, 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 the scriptural definition of a generational curse is a familiar spirit. Satan comes, when he comes at us, he comes to, to, to try to access that weak area in our lives. And he knows that weak area because it's the same weak area that maybe our mother or our father struggle with. Or maybe our grandparents struggle with. We call them generational curses. I know somebody who, man, like I told you last week, cancer just runs rampant and every woman in the family dies of breast cancer. And she's in fear, I'm probably going to die of breast cancer. So have you then, if you want to say that, if that's what you want. Come on, somebody. Amen. But here's the issue. Here's the thing is that that familiar spirit travels and it traces your bloodline. It traces your family history and it begins to try to enact the same destruction in your life that it did in the previous lives of previous generations. Again, we call them generational curses, but they're familiar spirits. Who are they familiar with? You. They're familiar with you. Amen. Amen. Let's go to still again passing review. Let's go to the book of Luke. Luke 11. Luke 11. When you're there, say amen. amen. 
Jesus starts here a parable, a teaching, a spiritual law. Remember at this church, I want to give you spiritual laws. This is a law. Verse 20. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay. He said when I when the when the devil or the works of the devil is 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 evicted, casted out of your life, there is no other kingdom. There is no other person that can do that but the kingdom of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can try to get over things in your life through many different various ways. You can read self-help books. You can go to encouraging classes and try to be better. You can think big and be big or, or whatever book you want to read, whatever man-made idea you want to try to implement in your life to try to break free from the challenges, the sins, the strongholds, the areas in your life that have held you back. You can try all those man-made Come on, ideas and concepts, but the only thing that's actually going to produce change is the kingdom of God. He said, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 21, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than him shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted in and divide his spoil. Who is the strong man that Jesus is referring to here? Say aloud, Satan is the strong man. He said, when a strong man arm keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Jesus equates a, your heart, the condition of your heart, your spirit to a palace. He said, when a strong man arm keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. What was that strong man armed with? He was armed with every bad habit, with every seed of self-destructive behavior that he had been planting in your life and in your heart when he breached those areas in your life. He's, his armor was in his palace was in peace. His goods were in peace because he was a strong man armed. He may have had you bound to fornication, bound to adultery, bound to whatever it is that you have been struggling with in life because he had you bound or because he had you struggling in those areas, he was armed with those areas and he could pull your chain whenever he felt like it. Not just you, but me too. Told on myself last week. There were areas where the devil could pull my chain when I thought I was getting big for my britches. When I thought I was going somewhere spiritually, he could come and just tug that chain. And because I had not dealt with that particular area in my life, because I had not yet turned it over to the Lord Jesus Christ, he had right to do so. Any area that you do not give Jesus lordship over, the devil has a right to come and pull your chain in that area. Until you say, Lord, I expose this area to you. Lord, I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to stop operating in darkness and stop trying to act like this issue is not here. Whenever you open yourself and derobe yourself, unclothe yourself and be transparent before the Lord, now you give the Lord exactly what he needs to help you. But see, the devil operates in a secret. As long as things are kept in the darkness and kept in secret, he can torment you. Oh, but when you expose it to the light through the law of exposure, come on, somebody, you will expose those areas and you give the Lord Jesus the equipment he needs to to evict the devil. Verse 23. Uh. Verse 22, but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all the armor that he trusted in and divideth his spoil. Who, although Satan is a strong man, who is the stronger than he? Yeah. 
Jesus is just stronger than he. There is a kingdom. There is a power that is so strong that it will make the nations of this world to tremble. There is a power that can, that can free you from every damnable thing that Satan will try to put upon you. There is a power to overcome every area of darkness, every area of sickness, every area of bad, every bad habit, everything that you thought that you were going to carry in with you to your grave. That bad habit, that thing that you were ashamed of, there is a power so strong, so powerful, so mighty that you can be delivered from anything, anything, anything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 23, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. When an unclean spirit is gone, here's the law. When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, finding none. He saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he and when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. This is a spiritual law. This is how people regress. This is how people go backward. Have you ever seen somebody on fire for the Lord and you see him 10 years later and it's like, what in the world happened to you? This is the regression. This is that process. This is a spiritual law. He said when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person. That doesn't mean that that person is possessed by demon spirits. But when the strong man comes and evicts the devil. Let's put it like that. When he comes and overcomes the enemy and kicks him out when you repent. This happens when you repent. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to change my ways. I want to turn 180. I want to go in the other direction. Please forgive me. At that moment, the kingdom of God is, is enacted in your life. You are forgiven. The chains are broken. He said, but that spirit that left, that work of the devil that left, that was evicted. He said that spirit walks through dry places seeking rest, finding none. Listen to what that spirit says. I'm going to go back to my house from whence I came out. And the scripture says that that spirit comes back and he finds that this house is swept and garnished. I have read this scripture thousands of times and I never really understood it. I thought I did. I even acted like I understood it, but I never really did until I understood the terms swept and garnished. The word swept means to keep, to keep swept, to be clean, to keep cleaned. The word garnish means to decorate or to keep decorated. What happens is, is that evil spirit goes out or that the work of the enemy goes out and is seeking dry, seeking rest, finding none. It says, I'm going to go back to my house from whence I came out. And he comes in and he comes back and he finds that the condition of this person's heart, the condition of your life is in the same place that it was before he was casted out. He comes back and he finds authority because the key to your house still works. The key to your heart still works. The, the furniture is still, in this, is still garnished and swept the same way it was when Jesus casted the devil out of your life. 
What did I say to you last week? It's Jesus' job to kick the devil out. But it's your job to put the devil's furniture on the curb and get the locks changed so that when he comes back, he will find that there is an armed guard standing in front of that house and his name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. And when he tries to gain access, Jesus will let him know. You can't come through the front door. You can't come through the back door because the windows, the locks have been changed. You do not have access. You are not welcome here. Hallelujah. Sometimes those, that furniture in their heart is bad relationships. You got to get rid of the bad relationships sometimes, yes. He can't stay your friend. Are we just going to stay friends? You, you fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. Oh, I'm just going to be friends still with my boys. We're going to be cool. I can go to the bar. They can drink. I'll get water. You fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. The worst deception is self-deception. Don't deceive yourself. You got to put the furniture, anything that resembled the old you, anything that would allow that evil spirit to come back and find some level of comfort or some level of home in your life. You need to get it out. Come on, somebody. What does that mean? That means if you have to do it every day, do it every day. There have been things that I was bound to that I was repenting while I was doing it. I'm not joking with you. I'm not kidding with you. I was doing it and repenting at the same time. I can't tell you how many bags of weed I have thrown away in my life. Oh, I got to get rid of this weed. I go home and I throw it away. I go back to the man and I buy some more. Come on, somebody. But I was making a decision. And, but when I understood this swept and garnished, I understood that I got to get this stuff out of my life. I can't tell you how many CDs I've thrown away. I have thrown away thousands and thousands of dollars worth of music in the trash. One time I threw it away and the next day I went out and got it and took it right back in the house. That's called bondage. Come on, somebody. So the next time I say, okay, I got a plan for this. I'm going to put glue all on it and burn it. (laughs) Amen. I'm making it light. I'm telling on myself. But you know that area in your life. You know that area. Go home, get them bottles and pour that liquor out. Go home, take them squares, them cigs and throw them away. What does that mean that if I go back and get them next week, don't worry about next week. Don't worry about tomorrow. Make a decision today. Because if you make a decision today by faith, you give God what he needs to sustain you. Are y'all hearing me today? You give God what he needs to sustain. You can't predict the future. You don't know how God's going to deliver you tomorrow. You don't know how he's going to deliver you Tuesday. You don't know about Wednesday. All you can deal with is now. Presently, Lord, I'm convicted about this area. Presently, this is an area in my life where the devil could come in and, and because of those seeds of self-destructive behavior, he could come in and pull my chain anytime he wanted to. And when that evil spirit comes back, I don't want him to feel at home. So I want to put this out of my life. Let's worry about the damage tomorrow. But make that decision today. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians 10. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen today. 
I'm working hard today. Praise the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is how you pull down strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every, 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 every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Some thoughts, a couple of the thoughts, a few of the thoughts, every thought. Paul uses warfare terminology here to let you know that there is a battle being waged internally and that battlefield is in your mind this war is being waged in your mind he uses warfare terminology so that you will know that this is serious business and I'm using the word business so that you will know that it's serious business it's serious business about the thoughts of everything that, that, that happens in our lives they, they, when Satan comes to trigger those areas that he has breached in our lives they start with a thought because the devil does not have any foreknowledge about you spiritually he does not have revelation knowledge he doesn't know if when you repent it it's stuck he don't know if it's stuck or not all he can do is come back and suggest some things drop some thoughts to see and the same thoughts that he's been dropping for years and years and years he keeps dressing and he waits to see what, what, what kind of effect it has on you he comes with thoughts because he doesn't know that's why the bible says casting down every thought every single one of those thoughts that's going to get you to the place that you don't want to be you should not entertain you should not cater that thought I know that that thought and that bad habit and that sin has been your crutch. It has provided you comfort. Whatever that area is in your life, it has provided you some level of comfort. But you've got to realize you've got to treat these thoughts like Paul told you to treat them like they were hostile captives. They are hostile. I remember I had a dream about a friend. And he was walking. <clears throat> in my dream I knew some areas about his life he, in my dream he was walking and there was a little gnome that was following him you know what a gnome you seen the travelocity gnome real cute it's ugly it's cute and ugly it's cuggly okay it's so ugly that it's cute right and his gnome was following him and this gnome was doing everything that he was doing. This gnome, when he would move his hand, this gnome was doing everything that he did. It was mimicking him. Almost like mocking him in a very cute way. Right? And he turned, every time he looked at the gnome, the gnome would go, real cute. And as I kept dreaming, it was a vision. It was from the Lord. And as I kept watching, the more and more he walked in life and going through different areas, it was almost operating like it was light speed, different areas in his life. The more and more, the more that gnome started to grow fangs. See, the thing that we allow to be comfortable in our lives, the very thing that we allow, that we, that we crutch with and that we don't want to get rid of, that's the thing that's hurting you. As comfortable as it may seem, as 
unharmful as it may seem to you, it's the very thought, it's the very train of thinking that gets you to the place where you don't want to be. I was counseling a young man and, I, and, and we were dealing with thoughts. And then out of me came this. It was like an image, like imagery of a, of a, of a race car track. You know? And I was like, these cars are like the thoughts. But the track is really what we need to be destroying. It's not it's th th when you're casting down the thoughts, what you're doing is you're tracing, you're backtracking and you're tracing a train of thinking. The issue is a train of thinking that we have that's damaging and self-destructive to us. The thoughts help us understand where this train of thinking is, right? The train of thinking is called a stronghold, according to the scripture that we just read. What is a stronghold? What did I tell you last week? It's a fortress. The, stronghold, the word stronghold means castle. <clears throat> it means fortress. It means Bishop Davis said it like this. He said, some of y'all don't know him. He's a pastor of the Word of Faith in Jacksonville, Florida. He said it like this. The word stronghold is a, a, a stronghold is a demonically induced pattern of thinking. It's a pattern of thinking that is demonically induced, first of all, demonically introduced and then demonically induced in your life. It's a certain way that you think. And whenever a seed of a thought is planted on that track, that particular thought travels that train of thinking. And out of that, when it gets back to home base, you get out of your body, out of your flesh in this life, the same results that you've always gotten over the years. And because we're so accustomed to those thoughts traveling a certain type of way of train of thinking, a certain type of pattern, we are unaccustomed to its negative effects on our lives. Mm. Because we treat it like that little gnome is cute. But it ain't cute. Paul said it's hostile. The weapons of your warfare are not kernel. They're not natural. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. To the pulling down of these fortresses and castles. How do we do this? We have to reshape, retrain the way that we think. Go to Romans 12. Are you saved? For the, I don't know about everybody. I know I'm saved. Come on, somebody. With a mighty burning fire. Hallelujah. I was up in here singing, so I know y'all, I ain't broke out the old gospel songs on y'all yet, but I had Bishop Patterson up here last night singing to me. Old Bishop of the old Church of God in Christ. That old gospel music. That old music that the slaves sung and the, and the people sung on watch night. Amen. If you are saved, your spirit is saved. It is your soul that's the that's counter to your spirit. It versus your spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions and your intellect until you submit your mind, your will, your emotions and your intellect to the word and the wisdom of God. You will forever be interconflicted. The spirit wants to serve God, but the carnal mind Wants to do what it's always been doing because it is, come on y'all, it is full of these demonically induced patterns of thinking. Are you in Romans 12? 
Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this age, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Why does he start with the body first? Because the only way we know whether the only way we know what's dominant on the inside of you is what you express out of this physical body. Period. You can say you love Jesus, love the Lord all day long. Jesus said you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. The only way we're going to know if you outwardly, man judges by the natural eye, God judges obviously the heart. The only way we're going to know whether or not you are proving what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God is if you allow the spirit of God, the nature of God on the inside of you to be dominant in your life. And when the spirit of God, when the nature of God is dominant in your life, number one, and number two, you conform your mind, will, emotions and intellect to line up with the word of God, which will line up with your spirit that out of your body, you will do the works of God. The soul is the servant to the spirit and the body is the slave to the soul. Remember, the soul serves when it's proper, when your soul, your mind, will, emotions and intellect is conformed to match the scripture. When your soul is brought underneath your spirit, it will serve your spirit. How does it serve your spirit? It will serve your spirit by this. See, the mind is like a filter. The soul is like a filter to your spirit. Your, your consciousness is being wake, awakened to some things now, right? So if you begin to put these things in operation in your life, if you begin to ca- open your mouth and cast down these wicked imaginations, these high things, and pour down these strongholds in your life, then guess what will ultimately happen? Your mind, you will train your mind to kick those thoughts out when they come. Right. So when you train your mind to line up with the word of God, then your soul, your mind, will, emotions and your intellect will begin to serve your spirit. If your mind, will, emotions and intellect is opposite of your spirit, it's not serving your spirit. It's opposing your spirit. But when you get your soul to line up with your spirit, it will serve your spirit. And then what? Then the body will be dragged like a slave because it's a slave. It will do. It will line up with wherever the soul is. Every time. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your this is your reasonable service. I know. We think we're doing something big when we live right. And God said, no, baby, this is reasonable. This is reasonable if I shed my blood for you. That's what he's saying. This is reasonable if, yes, I hung on the cross naked and shed my blood and went to hell. This is reasonable for you to live right. This is your reasonable service. Watch verse 2. And be not conformed to this age, this world of this age. Don't conform to this age. What is he saying here? Don't conform to the mentality 
of this age. But be ye transformed. That word transform is the same word that I showed you all when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says he was transformed before them. The word transformed is a Greek word, metamorpho. It means to be changed from the inside out. Yeah. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye changed from the inside out. Hallelujah. 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 <clears throat> Y'all heard that song? Something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. That's what we're talking about. Something on the inside. Metamorpho, working on the outside. Oh, what a miracle change. Yes. So then when people see you, it'll be like, it's something different yeah, about you. Right. Yeah, it's something yeah, different right. because you've been doing your homework. You've been, at, at, you've been at home changing your mind, filling your mind with the word of God. And when your mind, your thoughts are, are contrary to the word of God, you're opening your mouth and you're saying, I cast down that thought. I cast down that imagination to the obedience of Christ. That's not my thought. That's not my image. Glory to God. These thoughts, these negative thoughts will get you where you don't want to be. These images will get you where you don't want to be. That's why I tell people, I tell people all the time, you got to be careful about what you do in this flesh. Because you don't know how much you can do and be all right in your mind. How, when you do so much, well, I'm just living, I'm living, I'm young, I'm living. Oh, you're young and you're living and you're doing threesomes and foursomes. And you don't know in your mind what you're going to be able to forgive yourself of. And what's going to hamper you when you go to pray? There have been times where I've done things and I go to pray to the Lord. And the first thing that comes to my mind is the image of what I did. And I got to spend time to cast that image down. Because your faith is only going to work as far as you're forgiving yourself and your conscience is clean from dead works. It's not just all about, Lord, forgive me. Oh, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. The Lord forgave me. Yes, he forgave you. But there's a process that happens on the inside of you. And it's talking about these images and these thoughts. Cast down images of failure. Cast down images of defeat. <clears throat> I used to suffer from a fear of failure. How did I get over that? I had to cast down those images of me failing. And once I did that, I don't care if people think I fail or succeed. It don't matter. I don't fear failing and I don't fear dying because I cast those images down. Why? Because they're not from God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye changed from the inside out. What's on the inside of you? Your spirit. Your spirit. Your Holy Spirit, which has been born again with the same DNA of God. The scripture here is saying is this process of you not conforming to this world, but being transformed by, uh, by the mirror image into the word of God. This process, this metamorpho, this thing on the inside of you. That's why the scripture says that this excellence has been given in earthen vessels, that the excellency may be of God and not of man. You've received this gift, this new nature, this born again DNA on the inside of you so that you can't pop your lapels and say it was something that you did it's all about what God did it's all about the blood that he shed it's all about him choosing to deliver you and so through the process of transforming your mind submitting and committing your soul to the word of God through that process what happens on the inside of you you begin to lead with your spirit 
What I mean when I say that? You handle every situation according to your spirit. You deal with people according to the, what? To, to your spirit. How do you do? Sometimes you are challenged by people. What is your first initial reaction and response? To go hard on them? To go get mad? To get angry? Then you know that's an area in your life that you have not yet committed and submitted to the will of God. If that's your lead, if you don't lead from your spirit, then you know that's an indicator for you that you have more work to do. Amen. 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 Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ain't saying nothing about your spirit, right? This is not saying anything about your spirit. Your spirit is already born again, fashioned after the nature of God. He's trying to teach you how to get your spirit to be dominant in your life. By the renewing of your mind. Watch this. Why do we renew our mind? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Here's a good word here. Prove. It's a mathematical term. Have you have to have to prove a problem? How do you prove it? Show your work. Justify it. I hated showing my work. Why couldn't I just give you the right answer? Why do I have to show you the process that I took to get to that answer? Teaching you how to problem solve. They was trying to teach you how to problem solve in school. And show your work. That you may prove... What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Mathematical algebra term here. Right? In algebra, you got the answer first and you prove the answer, right? Right? Yeah, I think so. Right. <laughs> you got the answer first and you prove the answer by the equation, by, 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 by proving it. You are proving when you renew your mind, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Watch this. Watch this. This is the, the revelation in the scripture. The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is already settled in the mind of God about you. You're not proving anything to him. He already knows what you're going to do. The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is already settled about you in his mind. Who are you proving it to? And to them devils, them principalities, them powers, you prove to the devil, to the world, and to yourself why God chose you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are going to be in his trophy case. This is why I chose them. Because devil, you put them through this and you put them through that and they still came out victorious. Hallelujah. But the way you do that is by renewing your mind so that you can prove. You can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. Amen. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 5. First Samuel chapter 5. We've seen this before, but I want to show you this again in the scripture. This is the process. This is item one. First Samuel chapter 5. When you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God. 
How many of y'all know what the ark of God is? If you know what the ark of God is, raise your hand. Okay. For all the people that don't know what the ark of God is, we got to have Sunday school again all over in church. We didn't got away from Sunday school in church. Boy, when I was a kid, we knew all 66 books of the Bible before we went to the next Sunday school grade. We knew what the ark of God was. We knew the story about the ram in the bush. Come on, somebody. It's all good. We're going to teach you. The ark of God represented the presence of God simply. I'll just leave it there. It represented the presence of God, right? Whenever Israel had the ark of God that they created, that they made, that God gave them certain specifications on how to make it, whenever they had the ark, they had the presence of God on their side. The ark was hid in the holy of holies, okay? The Philistines stowed it. Dirty scoundrels. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the presence of God or the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Right. And then they of Ashdod arose early the next day. Behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth. Before the ark of of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they rose early on the next day, behold, Dagon was falling upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and of the head of Dagon. And both of his palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. The Philistines took the ark of God, which represented what? The presence of God. And they thought that it was just like any other medallion. They thought that it was just like any other idol. So they put it in there on their shelf next to their God, Dagon. Woo! We got Dagon. We got a nice little showcase of gods here. We got Dagon here. And we're going to put the, Isra- the, the Israelites, we're going to put their little ark next to Dagon. Well, they probably dusted it off and it looked good. And well, we got Dagon and we got, we got, a, we got a, uh, the ark of God, the presence of God in the same. We coexisting. Come on. We are coexisting. We are, we are existing together. All face. All equal. We're all... <laughs> we are all faiths here. <laughs> it's okay. We can have somebody pray to Jesus, and somebody pray to Allah, and somebody pray to Buddha. We're all faiths here. All right. We're going to put the ark of God next to Dagon. Surprise, surprise. They came in the next day, and Dagon was on his face before the ark of God. Mm-hmm. And they said, an earthquake must have happened. Let's pick little Dagon up and put him back on this shelf next to the dusted off, next to the ark of God. Something must have happened. They came in the next day and Dagon's head was cut off and his hands was cut off. You will have no other God before me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The head represented what? The thought processes. The hands represented what? What you do, how you do it. He said, you ain't going to be able to, that guy ain't going to be able to stand before me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Feel like preaching, go to Mark chapter 5. Hallelujah. Don't put Dagon next to God. We all gods here. It's all good. There is only one power in this world. That's like a locomotive. There's only one power in this world. And that's Jesus. Hallelujah. Dagon. Allah. 
Yeah, I talk about it in this church. That's right. You're going to be uncomfortable if you in here and you serve some other God. You better bow down. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess either in this life or the next that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all done got my engine started. Mark chapter 5. Look here at verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling place in the tombs. This man lived in and he lived in grave sites and no man could bind him. No, not with chains because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken into pieces neither could any man tame him and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones but when he saw Jesus man I just felt something go down my back when I said that when he saw Jesus afar off he wasn't even close. He saw Jesus. How did he see Jesus afar off? When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure you by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of this man, thou unclean spirit. And when he had asked him, what is your name? He answered, saying unto him, Legion, for we are many. Whenever you see the word legion, it denotes at least 2,000 demonic spirits. This man had 2,000 demonic spirits abiding, living, possessed by these spirits. You ain't seen nobody possessed by a devil. You think you saw somebody. Oh, they got the devil in him. No, they just full of flesh. That's all. I saw somebody, a preacher preaching. The woman came up and he laid hands on her. She went down and she was rolling around. And I'm like, you ain't got no devil. Go sit. You would be cutting yourself. You would be inflicting damage and harm on yourself. You wish you had a devil so you can reconcile all the crazy stuff you did in your life and you could just blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. No, it was your flesh. It was your out of control, unmaintained flesh that did that. It wasn't the devil. This man wasn't eating. He was living in tombs. He was living amongst the dead. The Bible says he was cutting himself all night and crying. How did this man not die? How did he not die? These demonic spirits was giving him energy. If you ever seen somebody possessed by a devil, and I have, I saw a teenage girl rise up five men, picking them up, tossing them, throwing them. That's a devil. That's supernatural power that that devil did to the man, right? Right? The Bible says, he said, we are legion. 2,000 demonic spirits. Watch this. This man could not be bound by chains or fetters. A fetter is an apparatus that can, that's around the feet. He broke cheddars in, in pieces, the fetters in pieces, the Bible says. They couldn't bind him with chains or fetters. But when he saw Jesus from afar off, the Bible says he ran, he fell on his face, and he worshiped at the feet of Jesus Christ. 
Again, you can use whatever man-made mechanism, whatever psychological chain or fetter that you want to use to try to control your squirrely, crazy, out-of-control flesh. You can read every book. You can listen to every self-help person. You can do all these things. You can do all of them. But the only thing that's going to deliver you is when you from a distance see Jesus afar off and you run and you fall on your face at the feet of Jesus and you begin to worship him. I don't care if you got 2,000 devils in you. There ain't enough devils in heaven or in hell or in anything in beneath that can stop you from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you lift up Jesus, Dagon must Hallelujah. Worship is the first key. How do you get these areas in your life? How do you keep freedom over these areas? You got to learn the key of worship. You become what you worship. You become what you worship. How many people in here are possessed by 2,000 devils? I hope nobody. Right? Because we would have to cast them devils out. You're not possessed by one devil. You just got some devil in your flesh, that's all. You got these seeds, you got these, these this, 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 uh, destructive, self-destructive behavior. You got these strongholds. But listen to me, the first key is worship. If you ever, if you ever fall in love with worshiping God, the number one key is that worship will make any demonic spirit, any area of vice, any area that the devil has imposed upon you, it will fall. It will fall. It has to. Jesus said there is a law operating on the inside of you and that law is you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have two masters dominant on the inside of your spirit. You will either love one or, and hate the other or hate one and love the other but you can't serve two. That's right. So if you start to erect Jesus in your heart, Dagon must fall. That's right. Every demonic influence, every area of self-destructive behavior, all those seeds that the devil planted when he breached your life, all those areas that he meant for your destruction, for the destruction of others, and to halt the will of God for your life, all those areas must fall if you worship. If you worship. What's the process of worship? The process of worship. They had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy place. A lot of times we stay in the outer court. And the outer court is where they gave sacrifices. <clears throat> they sliced the lamb up. The outer court was a very bloody place. They sliced the lamb up. They shed the blood because they give sacrifices before the holy of holies. Then the head of the house would take <clears throat> that blood into the inner court and then the priest would take that blood into the Holy of Holies. A lot of times we stay in that outer court realm where we struggle with the sacrifice. We love God. I don't doubt that people love God. I love God. He understand me. Jesus understand. He loves you, but he don't always understand. <clears throat> he understands how you're tempted. The Bible says that we have a high priest that was 
that, that cannot be touched, that was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, for he was tempted at each point like us, but without sin. <clears throat> he understands that you are tempted. He understands how you are tempted. But what he doesn't understand is how you don't let that life that's on the inside of you, that born again spirit the D, that contains the DNA of God, how you don't allow that to be dominant on the inside. That's what he doesn't understand. But he helps us through his spirit. Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. But sometimes we stay on the fringes, the outer fringes of God. I look like I need water. I'm dry. I'm okay. Thank you. Sometimes we stay on those outer fringes. She loved taking care of me. I love her. We stay on those outer fringes in that outer court. And we're afraid to go into the inner inner court. We like to stay out here. You know, where church is optional. Come on. Boy, y'all ain't gonna like me after I finish this little segment. Where church is optional. I might go. Or I might not. Depending on how I feel. Luck of the draw. We're gonna throw some dice. We're gonna see if I'm going to. Come on, somebody. Or we got something else that we deem important. Or we ain't gonna come. How is it? That conveniently we find something to do between the two hours that we're we just conveniently find that we got hours throughout the entire week. But between one and three, oh, I can't come past. I got to clean the floors. You could have cleaned them floors yesterday. <laughs> or them floors would be there when you get home. Right. <laughs> Priorities are out of whack, out of fringes, out of court. You love the Lord and he loves you. But guess what? You won't you won't be proven with that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in your life because you don't want to go into that next step, which is that inner court. Hmm. Now, the inner court is where you take a little dip in the water. You in there. You love God. You come to church. You like being around the people of God. But you a listener. My old friend said, you a pew member and not a crew member. We like to come to the pews and we sit and we listen and it's good and we take it home and we live and it's cool. But, oh, Lord, don't ask me to do nothing. Oh, don't put me in no position where I got to minister to somebody. This is not just for me. We are a body. This is just our, our, our headquarters. This is the loading dock here. This is where you come and get fueled up to go back out into the world and touch the world. But we in the inner court. We come to church. We read, you know, we, we, we love the word. We enjoy worship at church. We come maybe once or twice a week. And that's cool. But the inner court is when you at home and you so in love with Jesus. That when he tells you, turn that TV off. And you come and you worship the Lord. You in prayer. You're praying in the Holy Ghost. You're praying about your future. You're praying about your brother or sister in Christ. Or you're just there worshiping the Lord and fueling up at that's that inner court. That's that place when the Lord begins to show himself and manifest himself to you. That's the place of growth. Worship is the key. So what happens when we worship and I'm closing on this example? What happens when we worship, the process of worship, while worship is so key in our lives? 
is that whatever it is that you're going through, when you start to employ this particular area in your life, when you start to employ worship and day God begins to fall, things happen during that time. You begin, God begins to reveal you to you. You begin to look in the mirror and see your faults and see your failures and see your shortcomings. And you begin to go back and dig into your past as you track those thoughts back to see where they originate from. They might originate from something that happened when you were three or four or five or six or the divorce or the abuse or the molestation or the person that broke your heart. Whatever the case may be, when you start to trace those thoughts back, you will eventually hit that sweet spot and find that area that where it all started from. Sure, you're going to cry. Sure, it's going to be ugly and you're not going to want to look at it. But when you at that moment, this is what I learned again, y'all. This is not from a book that I read. This is what I lived and experienced. I learned this process of worship because, you know, sometimes we like to go to counselors just to talk. You know, we go and we sit there and we talk and we cry and then you spend an hour, you spend one hundred and fifty dollars and you leave. No better, no different. But there should be something greater for us as believers that we can tap into. And here it is. The spirit of, the, of counsel. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is the wonderful counselor. He was the spirit of counsel, the spirit of truth. He will counsel you and he will bring those emotions. He will bring those dark areas up to the top of your heart. And when they get there and you're full of emotion, you're full of tears, you're full of disappointment in yourself, you feel like a failure, you feel all those emotions, then that's the time that you begin to worship. Some of y'all think you can only worship when you're feeling good. You better worship in your tears. Because what God does when you worship him in your failure, in your finite, in your tears, in your brokenheartedness, what he does is he takes those emotions and he begins to launder those emotions in worship. You all know what it means to launder money. That means if I have a, 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 a illegal business, I take the money from the illegal business and I funnel it through a legal business. Come on, somebody. And when it comes out the other the end, the government don't know what way is what. We washed the money. That's why you see a lot of drug dealers with car washes. Oh, we selling drugs, but we got a car wash. We running the money. Every time you go to the car wash, it's six foes up there on Dayton's and 22's and bouncing like that. Hydraulics. That's a drug dealer's car wash. They washing that money. It's called money laundering. When you are broken hearted and you bring those emotions, those failures, those disappointments, those that broken heartedness to the top of your heart and you begin to worship God with those emotions he will take those emotions and he will launder them and worship he will clean them and he will give them back to you purified by love hallelujah I live this I live this I live this lived it mad angry at my daddy mad all the time always angry always wanting to fight always mad taking it out on my mama and my sister just mad unhappy mad and I started to tap into this worship this key of worship and I will launder those emotions and I will be honest with the Lord Lord I hate him I need you to help me I hate him 
Lord, I'm brokenhearted. I feel like a failure. I need you to help me. I feel like a failure, but I know that it is in you that I live, move, and have my being. I know that I may fail if I try by myself, but if I try with you, I ain't going to fail because there is no failure in you, Lord Jesus. When you begin to take those emotions and be honest with the Lord in worship, be honest with him in prayer, he will take your emotions. Trust me, he will take them, and when you get them back after you spent that time in worship, they will be purified by love. So when I will walk out of that, that closet of prayer or that area of worship, now I'm starting to think about my father in a different light. Oh, his daddy had issues. How would he know how to be a father if he never saw a daddy? You know what, Lord? I need to forgive him. In fact, I need to call him. Where's the phone? Teaching good. Yeah. And see, when you deal with the root, the root is the breach. The breach was the the absence of my father. In that gap, in that breach, Satan climbed up. And what did he do? He left seeds of self-destructive behavior. He climbed up in there and he left seeds because my daddy wasn't there sexually molested. So he left that seed. And because of that, it goes to 13 and 14. And now I'm trying to convince myself that I'm not gay. Oh, my God, am I gay? Am I gay? So now I'm trying to find every girl with something that I can try to do something with. So then you go from that vice to another vice. Now I'm bound to this. And so when it's like, God, I'm tired of fornicating. Where did this come from? I'm tracing it back. Oh, this thought process entered into me when I was 12 years old. I was trying to convince myself that I wasn't gay. So now I'm going back. Oh, at five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I was sexually molested. Now I'm going back. How did that happen? No, daddy. I was angry at him. Now I'm going to fill this breach with what it should be filled with. And that's Jesus. He's the only void filler. He's the only breach repair. Hallelujah. I begin to lift my hands and worship. Hallelujah. And after about 30 minutes, an hour of that, I know some of y'all almost fainted. I got to be in there that long? Just try it. Just try it. Just try it. If you can only do 15, try 15. But be effective when you go in there. Hallelujah. And after that time, I would come out and my emotions were given back to me from the Lord. And they were purified with love. Now, I'm forgiving people. Asking for forgiveness. Hugging my mama now. Being nice. Not being sorely and sour and bitter and like a lemon. So I went to the taste. No, no, no. It's loving. Care. Process of worship is the first key to maintaining victory in your life. You must be a worshiper. If you're not a worshiper, you can't be free. That's how I know if people in my church are free. I know where you are. It's okay where you are, because I'm going to teach you. We're going to go, we going higher, baby. We're going higher. But I, I check the temperature during worship. You can't lift your hands. You can't find the words to say. I know. Bondage. But when you at home and you begin to tap into this law, this key in worship, you will start to get free. I used to be like that. Can't worship out loud. Can't. And then... Uh, 
I don't care who. I don't care if you. I don't care if you caught me. If I was in here by myself and you caught me singing out loud and you walked in, I'm not going to be embarrassed. You better come and join. Come on up in here. Amen. When you turn the heat up in your heart, in your life, when you turn Jesus up, everything will fall. You having troubles in, at home with your kids or your husband or your wife. Turn that worship meter up. Start letting them hear you worship. Or if you live at home with your parents and it's trouble there, start letting them hear you worship. Oh, don't go down in the closet. Sometimes you can do that. That's cool. I ain't knocking that. Man, sometimes you got to let it ring out. Well, you got to ring it out like that. You turn that worship meter up, everything in there that's not like God will come down. I guarantee you, if you a man and you got a wife and there's some trouble, some issues going on, she's going to start thinking you a great man of God. You come out of that worship prayer, that prayer. She in there hear you worship and going all the way in. I'm talking about all the way into worship and loud and laying out. You come out of there for about an hour, your food going to be ready, buddy. It's going to be some worship. It's going to be some, some <laughs> come on, somebody. Them kids hear you in there worshiping. I, I remember when I would hear my mother in there speaking in tongues. It was like, man, do I got to take the trash out or something? Where is the mop? I got to mop something. I'm up in here with a woman of God. I'm playing. Let me, hey, hey, I'm over here cleaning up. <laughs> hear my mama praying in tongues. It put everything in order. Lift Jesus up. Lift Jesus up. Lift Jesus up. Dagon must fall. That's in your house. That's in your heart. Lift them up. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands. In worship, it's key for you to be honest. You must be honest in worship. There's no wrong thing you can say in worship. Whatever comes to your heart. You don't have to worship like the the priest that was at your Catholic church. You don't have to worship like that. Just lift your hands and begin to be honest before the Lord. The Catholic Church has done us a great injustice thinking that we got to go through a man to worship. When Jesus broke down that wall and just said, lift your hands, you are my temple. Worship. Everybody say, worship is my key to victory. Say it again, worship is my key to victory so let's just worship the Lord for a moment I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come out of the microphone for a few seconds we're all just going to worship the Lord to the music and just worship him just let it be you and him Father we worship you we thank you Lord I worship you Lord 
I give you honor, Lord. I give you glory. I worship you, Lord, in the middle of failure, in the middle of fear, in the middle of doubt. I worship you, Lord. I worship you in the middle of success, in the middle of victory. I worship you. I worship you, Lord, because you are mighty. Hallelujah. You are so good. And your mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You are my deliverer. You are my friend. You are my buddy. You are my confidant. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, 